Hi, this is Chantel Schieffer, President and CEO of Leadership Montana. Views and opinions shared by guests of Listen First Montana do not reflect the opinions of all of our alumni or organization. We are a large group with lots of opinions, believe me. If you hear something that makes you uncomfortable, we invite you to listen deeply, listen hard, and listen first. Welcome to Listen First Montana, a podcast of Leadership Montana. I'm Eric Halverson. Today I'm in Kalispell, speaking with City Councilman Kyle Waterman. Kyle was raised in Helena by parents Mignon and Ron Waterman, well-known figures in Montana's political circles for their extensive public service. As an adult, Kyle left the state for nearly two decades. We'll hear about what drew him back to Montana and how his professional path, including advocating for children with trauma and mental health challenges, eventually led him to seek public office himself in 2017 when he was elected to the Kalispell City Council. In this episode, Kyle provides wonderful insights into what makes Kalispell special including why the local economy here is diversifying so rapidly and the resources and opportunities that underpin that economic growth. Kyle graduated from the Leadership Montana class of 2020, a cohort with the informal motto, we didn't see that coming. As a current city councilman who began his term back in 2017, we'll hear Kyle compare his leadership style before and after his Leadership Montana training. During most of 2020, Kyle also served as the city-appointed member of the Flathead City-County Health Board, where he was heavily involved in public health decisions made in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll hear what leadership strategies he deployed during that time, particularly how he made sure to spend time listening to his constituents to understand the impacts of health orders on everyone from restaurant owners to the local homeless population and everyone in between. We'll also hear how Kyle prioritizes the many topics he's passionate about, why he believes in a more transparent and accessible local government, his reflections on moving home to Montana with a husband, and so much more. Kyle Waterman, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey Eric, welcome to Kalispell. It's great to have you here. Yeah, it's so nice to be here. Before we turn the mics on, you were telling me so much about Caspo that I didn't know, and I want to dive into that. <laughs> but first, I just want to hear how you're holding up. You've been a, a leader in local government throughout a pandemic. You're on the health board. It's been a long year, but um, you know, I, I've, I've been holding up pretty well. Um, you know, I think like a lot of people, we're just lucky to be in Montana, and Montana's um, been a gracious state for us to all live in um, through this last year. I mean, I don't think that everybody realizes how much we've had access to our public lands and what a great state Montana has been to go through um, a pandemic and through 2020. Um, we've been very fortunate. And honestly, I see we were talking before, see a lot of growth and opportunities in the middle of that. And it's sort of amazing to be able to be here in Montana at this time. But you spend a lot of time romping around outside, is what you're telling I me. I do. I, I do spend a lot of time romping around outside. I've spent most of the year. Um, you know, I, I have some dogs, so I take dogs for a walk on a regular basis, and um, and enjoyed that. And skiing has been a great thing for the winter. Um, and that's one of those things in Montana. I think if you love Montana, you have to learn to embrace Montana and get out there and find your ways to do that. And that's been fortunate Montana that we have had that opportunity. So Kyle, let's um, just talk about your background a little bit. I understand you were born in Helena. So can you get us, just give us the, the overall view. Who is Kyle Waterman? Who is Kyle Waterman? <laughs> um, and I'm Kyle Waterman. And that's, um, <laughs> I was born and raised in, in Montana um, and over in Helena, Montana, and was very fortunate to have parents who, um, my mom's originally from Billings. And my grandmother was always around, and that side of the family was around. My dad originally was from New Jersey, and he ran away to Montana when he was 14. And so a family that was passionate about Montana, loved living in Montana. And my parents were able to, and fortunate enough to um, spend their entire career in Helena. Um, and so, you know, my dad was a lawyer there in, in Helena for 45 years, and my mom was a public servant and really involved in the community. 
when I grew, got out of high school, I, I, I think this is a funny thing that Montanans do. There's a point where you sort of want, want to get out. I remember talking with friends in high school of like, just wanting to uh, just help even throwing rocks out of town because we couldn't wait for all of us to get out of town. And as soon as I got out of town and I went to um, state of Washington and I eventually ended up in New York, I just couldn't wait to move back home. I mean, as soon as I got there, as soon as I got out, I um, was constantly looking at that opportunity to come home. I did try to come back after graduating from college and moved back to Helena. Um, lived there for a couple of years. I, uh, over time, sort of, um, I've always been very compassionate and always wanted to care for people, and, but always been a project manager. When I was a, um, in high school, I used to do a lot of theater and I was a stage manager at that time. Like to just organize things and got myself through, through college and then realized that what I really did like to do was organize things and fundraise and help organize nonprofits. Um, and so eventually became a nonprofit manager. I lived in Chicago and worked at the Art Institute of Chicago for 10 years. Um, and moved to Chicago at a time right after 9-11 where a lot of things were changing there as well. Um, and it was able to um, work in a major art institute, in, the, in cultural institute in the middle of the city. Um, but I sure missed the mountains um, and couldn't wait to move back home. Um, and eventually actually met my husband, uh, my now husband. Um, we um, met in Chicago, ended up back in um, north of Seattle area. Um, and then kept working on moving home and moving back to Montana. I was fortunate, I think I shared with you yesterday. I mean, I met Steve and um, on our first date, he said he wanted to live in Montana. And I, I felt like, again, I think one of those things that Montanans experience of um, we leave the state, we find a spouse, we club them and we bring them back home. Um, and it's great to actually m meet somebody out in the world who wanted to move back to Montana and come back and explore and happy to, now we've been back in the Flathead area for about 10 years. Um, and when we moved back here, I moved back as a nonprofit manager. I worked at um, Intermountain Children's Services and was doing primarily fundraising, but here in the Flathead and looking at um, how we provide therapeutic services for younger, more traumatized children. Um, it's hard work. Um, and there was a point there where I realized that um, I could be fundraising for the solution or what I could actually see was that we needed to have a change in our healthcare system. We needed to have a more integrated healthcare. The way to address children was actually to be able to work with their parents and to work upstream before they ended up falling through a foster care system and traumatizing in a therapeutic home, we needed to find ways to work with their parents and their families in the community. And that was, to me was Medicaid expansion and watching the importance of pushing for Medicaid expansion in Montana and, and the levels of services that that provided. Um, and so I also made a large choice there to leave the nonprofit sector and to start to pursue um, public service, which meant I had to find a new job and figure out how to have how to have an income underneath um, that wasn't relying. I felt it's hard to, unfortunately, in politics and especially in Montana, you have to fundraise um, for yourself. Um, and I felt like I, the best way to do that was to not be doing that for another entity and be able to go wholeheartedly into public service. So in 2017, um, I decided to run for city council against somebody who had had the seat for 28 years. Um, and I really it was one of those moments where I realized. Um, I was the person who could change some paradigms of what I thought Kalispell needed to do, and part of it was about um, smarter growth, but also taking some of what I've learned about trauma-informed care and trying to apply that on a public level and being more of an advocate of what we could do with law enforcement and what we can do with um, public health to um, improve our system for little kiddos, but um, for families as well. I think it's important that we touch on the fact that you've got a strong lineage of uh, service. Yeah. And so folks recognize your mother's name, and I wonder if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit more about your parents and okay. their service. Sure. Um, well, I think, I mean, yeah, I'm very fortunate to be Ron and Mignon Waterman's um, son. Um, and it's been over time where I now actually um, I live in the state that they get called my parents, and I like being able to see that point where I've raised up enough and I'm I'm influenced enough that people are like are you Kyle's dad <laughs> um because it, it was sort of like growing up in a um in a limelight or in a little bit of a shadow um so my dad was a lawyer in Helena eventually he did um I mean he's always been involved in a lot of I mean 45 years of 
legal services based out of one law firm, which gave him a lot of land work, but also a lot of company work across Montana. But he also became a very big advocate of um, what we should be doing in our criminal justice reform and sort of for Fifth Amendment rights, but also just um, how we how again, sort of a compassionate way of looking at our legal system and improving it so that we um, have some substantial changes. Eventually, he did run for a Supreme Court um, justice. It was a one jousting of windmills, um, and I think my family has a good history of jousting at windmills. Um, he just felt that um, at that time, the Chief Justice race needed opposition. Um, just to make sure that there's always a community dialogue of what we could do. Um, and then there's my mom, Mignon Waterman, who um, mom passed four years ago. Um, and my first childhood memory is putting up a re-election sign for my mom in our front yard. But in her time and in her service, she was, um, was, we were talking a little bit about her yesterday, I think she was a reluctant feminist. I mean, I think it's one of those things she grew up in the, in the, um, 70s and was having children in the 70s and watching a lot of um, the feminist changes happen around her. Um, though she was um, raised by a, my grandmother who was a postal worker um, who also was very active. And I think my mom sort of just assumed that, yeah, a woman could be able to work and be able to do anything in, um, in Montana and looked up to people like Jeanette Rankin. As, as an aspiration that, yes, you could move into public service. And when my brother ended up um, in kindergarten, um, she had concerns about the playground at, at Raby York over in Helena. Um, and the principal said, lady, if you want to change something, you should run for the school board. Um, which, I mean, I think he meant that as a shutdown and, mm -hmm. and a pushdown. And um, we, uh, the, anyway, a family friend showed up that night, had heard that story and showed up with the petition for her that she should run for the school board. Um, she ended up eventually serving on my, uh, Helena school board for 12 years um, and then moved over to becoming a lobbyist and getting more involved in education associations, which spurred her and pushed her to um, run for state senate um, and also served as a senator for Helena for eight years. And, in that period of that time, not only was education one of her um, standing uh, standpoints, we actually sort of talked about this. Mental health became one of her larger issues um, that she became a champion. And part of it was um, uh, understanding the budgets and seeing how that worked and how important there were mental health issues that were in education. Um, but also it was, uh, really was from her learning in the community how, um, well, Back then in the 90s, I mean, at that time, mental health was still seen as a pre-existing condition. So really f push, pushing to have parity and get to a spot where we wouldn't look at mental health as being a pre-existing condition and why you wouldn't be able to have health insurance. Um, so she really pushed for health parity in Montana, but sort of that um, really became an advocate for mental health issues. I think I was always raised with a, well, you should, if, if you need to fix something, you need to contribute and get it done. If you see something wrong in your community, you should take action and organize a group of people to make that change. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, I've always, like I say, been a compassionate and um, empathic um, individual. I, I really like community and what's around me. Um, and I think that I, I'm, motivated very much when we can see a community impact and mm -hmm. I was definitely raised that way of that was a possibility over time I, I've learned to become a leader myself and just to acquire some of those skills and realize that yes sometimes you have to step up and be the person to say this is the direction we all need to go and then um, I definitely from my parents saw that you know civically you can do that as well yeah. So despite, I'm curious, you know, you obviously have an incredible depth of background in public service um, as it relates to your family. When you got into public service and you were elected to city council, was there, was there like anything that sort of hit you over the head that you were, oh, I, I just didn't know this until I was fully in the arena myself? Once I, the, the largest lesson there is that you're at the table um, and you don't have to ask somebody else to speak up. You don't have to um, petition or lobby somebody and be like, you should say this, or this is the action. You get to actually be there at the table and, and watching what's happening and realize that you're the one with, again, the mic in front of your face that you get to speak into the problem mm. or address what that is and um, look at how you make community decisions. Um, I didn't 
I'm, I sort of knew that that's the direction I was going. I just didn't realize um, how many how many things that we want changed in the world, and there's not enough people. Like when you actually get to see the apparatus and get to see the chance of how you might be able to change things or um, influence decisions, um, it took a while. Uh, the other thing that was um, it takes a while to wrap your head around the budgets and just to see how the organization works. Um, and I took a lot of advantages to make sure that I did writing along with law enforcement or with the firefighter fighting, um, and be able to meet with fire chiefs, um, and to be able to have some of those conversations and be like, how does it really work was, was amazing. And then how to thread that together through budgets to what you can actually do in council meetings and make decisions. Just, I know almost nothing about Kalispell. Honestly, I'm embarrassed to say. I told you that when I was here in 2016 <laughs> with my leadership Montana class, I, um, I learned about the how robust the manufacturing sector is. But I wonder to listeners who are like me and feel like they just don't know very much about Kalispell at all. Let's hit the big points. What do people need to know? Kalispell is definitely one of the best kept secrets, and they keep their secrets pretty good. So I'll I'll try to break those open a little bit. Okay. Um, and and there is a um, local pride of, of of the Flathead Valley, um, and I think that part of that isolation and where we are is we are isolated by um, the Bob Marshall. We are isolated by Glacier from the rest of the state. Um, and so we sort of do feel like we're up here in this corner of, of the state and doing our own thing. You know, Montana, uh, Kalispell's always been a two-story town. Um, a lot of other main streets in, in the rest of the state have bigger four-story historic buildings from the 1800s. Montana, Kalispell's are all two-story um, opera houses and, and just sort of like where all the different bars and bis- businesses and mercantiles were. Um, but we've sort of always been overlooking. I mean, in that sense, I think it makes Kalispell uh, one of those last best places in Montana, um, where we've always been two hours away from from the highway, where we haven't always been connected to the rest of the state or to commerce that's happening around regionally. But we're rich not only because we have so much access to public lands, but that's also given us richness because of the timber industry and sort of our self-sustaining industries that we have here. We had never got built up very much historically. I mean, it's sort of been smaller uh, timber towns or smaller towns. I remember even growing up in Helena. Um, you'd come up to Kalispell just as a gateway to get into to Glacier, but you would never go up to Whitefish because like, there was a two-lane road, and that was sort of a weird road that you would go up there. Now coming back and what's happening is um, we're connected. Um, the cities are much more connected, and our transportation across the valley is much larger. But we have a huge manufacturing district. We have about five, uh, about 400 light manufacturers. And I think part of that is just um, a diversification of what our, um, it used to always just be the aluminum plant and um, sawmills up in Columbia Falls. What we see when those closed, which was, was a huge loss to those communities, is startups start to happen. And now all of a sudden through the 90s and through the connection with the internet, but also because of the airport expanding and just just where we've changed as a global world, um, Kalispell's growing and the flathead is growing. And right now, actually, in Kalispell, some of the amazing things that we're doing, I mean, Kalispell's sort of always been in the center of the valley. I mean, the name means flat area um, above the lake. That's the Salish name of Kalispell, means flat area above the lake. Um, Kalispell itself is in the center of the valley. And we're sort of the heart of what how we can connect to Glacier, but also down to Flathead Lake. Um, like I say, we're um, energy rich because we have we're right down from the Bonneville Dam, and we have a lot of power, which also helps our manufacturing sector. Um, and in downtown Kalispell, there's um, when I first moved back to Montana, we were back in Kalispell, and why I fell fell in love with Kalispell was um, there's always this talk of like there's train tracks that go across the center of Kalispell. Um, and it goes across Main Street. I mean, it sort of bisects the entire town. And there's, when I first started, there were people like, well, they talk about taking the train tracks out. Um, and over 10 years, they have been able to get the federal grants and some of the funding. And actually, let's see, next week, we'll start to take the train tracks out. Um, and I think that that's why the Flathead and, 
in general is the second fastest growing place in Montana is because it's a beautiful corner of the state, but this is our time, our opportunity to be leading the state. Um, and it's not just going to be about tourism. I mean, I think that again, it's because we have all this, um, entrepreneurship, but also a history of just being, um, energy rich and having some, uh, ways that we can make things work and we still have the railroad. I mean, so removing the train tracks across Kalispell, what we ended up doing are city planners. I mean, over the last 10 years, um, they built a new, um, tr uh, train park where we're able to have five, five businesses that have access to that rail park. And the rail park has also expanded and is also selling up. So we're able to accommodate new businesses that are coming to Montana, connect them to the rail, connect them to the internet. Um, and again, I think that's where that's a treasure of just what we can do workforce wise and what's happening, um, with our business sectors in, in Kalispell that are pretty awesome. We'll be leaders in the state. The other thing is that again, we have this great access to glacier, but we also have some awesome state parks trickled throughout the system. We have access to national forest land up um, through Whitefish. Um, we have Pole Bridge. Um, we have a rich, um, uh, great access into what the heart of Montana is. And within that, there's also just sort of a, um, you know, with all that industry and all those opportunities, uh, a love of the land, priorities of keeping our water clean and priorities of trying to keep our healthy community vibrant. You have been in your first public office prior to Leadership Montana, and then you went through Leadership Montana, and you still continue to hold that same office. So I'm wondering if, you know, if we think about the before and after, if you can contrast those two, what Leadership Montana might have changed in terms of your approach to the work. Leadership Montana was a treasure trove of being able to learn some new skills and some new approaches to how I was working. Um, things like gracious space and being able to meet people and have conversations with them has been really helpful in public service and definitely this last year. Um, part of that is just because I've been able to sit and talk to peers on the council. And again, I'm on the health board, but I mean, just, just to talk to other public officials um, in a way just to work our way through the problem of what was happening um, from governor's orders, but also what we were looking at locally. Um, being a, to me also, I've found the importance of um, being a leader that's able to carry more water. That if I heard something that I wasn't just, it's not just sending off an email that sometimes I needed to be the person to um, take that charge and make sure that um, if a community member told me of something that was not working um, in 2020, that I might need to research and learn that and make sure that I followed that problem the way through. Um, an example for that has been um, homeless services in Kalispell. Um, again, because I came from a nonprofit sector, I really do know a lot of people who are in agency. And then since I've been on the health board, and I was just sort of talking about this at a health board meeting yesterday, we had a mental health crisis in Montana two years ago before COVID. Um, it's, we still do have the same crisis that we're working with, and some of that was about high suicide rates, but also... Um, where mental health issues are showing up in our homeless communities. Um, so I was connected with um, a lot of those community leaders. Uh, and when we did do the um, shelter-in-place orders and the libraries got closed and the buses got closed and all the coffee shops got closed, um, we ended up having homeless um, individuals within the community who were without services. And, and being able to, like address that as an emergency and being able to, um, as a city council member, make sure that connected with those agencies, connected with what was happening in the health board, but also connect with city council to make sure that we had an action plan for the flathead, for what we were doing to provide services through the stay at home order, um, was pretty important. And I realized, I mean, I ended up it's one of those times where you chair a committee, but it's more than just chairing a committee because you realized you needed to make the committee and, um, that was helpful from Leadership Montana to have learned those skills that sometimes you need to spell out what needs to happen 
need to make a plan and how to lead a group through there. And then watch, um, Jerry talked about change management. As soon as you sort of go over that cliff, have watching, watching everybody's go, Oh, what's happening. And, um, being that leader who has the long vision of how we're going to get our way through things so that we could, um, what we did there was able to connect a lot of the 75 individuals with services, get ourselves through the, um, uh, stay at home order, but also make a sort of a better collaboration between the agencies. Um, so we had a plan for the rest of the year, um, with things like, um, 2020 and COVID and everything like that. There was some things where I always realized it was going to be a long, long term issue that it wasn't something that was going away in two weeks and, um, and realizing that, you know, we had to make some community decisions and plans that were going to see an uptick of COVID in the fall. Mm-hmm. And that was very predictable to see where we were going and how to make sure that we were, um, and as a civic leader, I just sort of made sure that I was connecting our city manager, our mayor with what I was seeing in the health department, but I've just been trying to connect more individuals because as a leader, I can do that. A lot of people see me out in the community, but they also always, I mean, they have my cell phone number and they have, they have my, they are able to contact me as somebody who could you help and the importance of being a leader that's able to help and help solve problems. How did you feel all of that input coming in from the community? I imagine it was a lot and varying tremendously. And it's, it's, it was a lot. And, um, Part of it is uh, how to not be overwhelmed by everything. I think that yeah. part of it is the, the importance of self-care. And I think that um, it's one of those moments where I actually just did install a couple of self-care moments. Of um, I, I do go to church. So I started going back to Bible study and trying to figure out um, how to do Bible study on a weekly basis and how to um, really connect and make sure that I had some spaces to reflect. Um, reading through all the emails and following I mean, you do get a glosh of information. I also go out and make sure I listen to people. I mean, there's a lot of things when we talked about restaurants and what was happening in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, I go out and talk to, um, other leaders who I see in the community or people who owned restaurants just to talk to them about what worked, what didn't work. And part of it is uh, actually to see, um, the unintended consequences of, of shutdowns and how things were affecting employers, restaurants are employers and how they were um, affecting a community that they were watching and taking care of. And um, so it was important to go do my research. And some of that was just reaching out myself. Yeah. I guess a similar question would be, you know, I'm hearing you talk about how, you know, um, interested in, childhood trauma and mental health and public planning and growth management. And how do you, that's a lot. And meanwhile, you're clearly intentionally making space to listen to, to people. It, you only have so much time. How, tell me about your prioritization process. You only can accomplish so much and you sort of end up having to pick and choose your um, battles and what your priorities are always going to be. I did enter in again from this sense of learning about, um, childhood trauma and what we could do with um, being trauma-informed more in a public public arena. And I make that sort of my priorities. And um, though um, part of that is to make sure that um, in going and listening, I sort of entered in purposely to go make sure I talked to law enforcement and talked to um, professionals who are in the public health arena to see what they needed to have as solutions to advocate for. And make sure to raise those up. So once I really sort of knew I was moving in, um, looking at what we could do better for kids in, in the flathead and dealing with our mental health issues, that sort of gravitated me to, well, I should get myself onto the health board. Um, mm-hmm. And I knew that, I mean, it's the city county health board and making sure that I got onto that, to that r- where I had a, a way to speak into the priorities that I had. Um, and then there's sometimes you... Um, you just can't um, change, you can't win every battle and you have to pick and choose. Um, and so uh, you have a little bit of a prioritization there to be um, that you, especially in any in council or sort of legislative moments, other people need to have a chance to advocate for what they're doing. 
Um, and so being able to have that space to remember what politics is, is politics sometimes because it involves people and other people came to city council with their, uh, their priorities and make sure that um, you give to them so that you can take, um, take an opportunity for something that you're passionate about um, and making sure that you can work on collaborating, collaborating with those priorities and just knowing that you can't, you don't get to move all your agenda all the time. We talked yesterday as a, in a mm-hmm. little conversation prior to the podcast, and one of the things that you mentioned that you were fired up about is the importance of local representation, and right, and and really, and local government, and the importance to be responsive to your constituents. So I wonder if you can talk about that. Um, so I, I do think that part of it is um, it's important that we see ourselves in our government and be able to. Um, and sometimes that in, is in the composition of the age and matrix of what we see in our city councils or in our legislature. Mm. Um, but part of that is, again, how to make sure that um, everybody is included into that process. Men, women, gays, lesbians, minorities. Um, and being able to see a process of um, where everybody's voices get heard. Um, and sometimes that's through representation. Um through Leadership Montana, we also talk about uh, having representation that's good at bringing in the strangers. I think it's important as public servants that we have people who um, know the community very well and know how to bring the community into conversations. Um, so often, um, people's frustrations about government and and and, um, and what they're seeing in the public process is they don't know enough of what's happening. They don't see how government is working. And so I do find that um, as I've moved into public service, how much I'm explaining to people how it works and what the opportunity is. And part of it is also what local government does versus state government does or what federal government does. Um, And I think that unfortunately we've let um, these public spaces become enigmas and become closed chambers too often. And sometimes that's because of the people who are there who keep things closed. Um, We need to find ways to modernize or make things more transparent on, um, on our local and our municipal levels, but also on our state level Um, and help people, the public understand where the systems could work together and work better. Um, I always like to refer to people that we have silos of excellence um, throughout society. But, I mean, definitely within government, we have silos of, of where one system is just not talking to the next system. And as a public servant, you can help people connect those dots. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you just need to um, also hear what people are doing go read the binder. They didn't want to read the binder and then go to the meeting and be like, you know, this would be the better way for us to work together. Um, and so I do think in public process, I mean, like, um, I always tell people that is what I do. I read binders and I go to meetings that they didn't want to read or go to. Um, and stringing those together. And I don't think that we have to be laborious. I think that there's some of us who are wonks who really would like to be able to do that and how to, um, build public trust in what we can do and help connect those dots because there's some solutions where we are going to need local county and state solutions to be able to solve like our current growth event that we're happening in the flathead so that we don't get overwhelmed with things we need to be able to work on on these levels of government um on behalf of people for the solutions that they want let's talk about um something you had mentioned to me before which is this idea of keeping montanans here and able to find opportunities here um mm-hmm. you left montana for how many years it was uh it was, it was getting a, close to about 20 years and is it is it fair to characterize your desire to return in a simplest just longing to be home or yeah it was a longing to get home i mean i, I think a part of it i did start to recognize that a lot of my 
travel and flights were to just come back to Montana and I mm. was coming back to Montana just to recharge myself. Um, not only to by visiting my parents and seeing family and friends, but also there is a connection to the land that I was just, I needed to come back and recharge. Sure. Um, yeah, it was a longing. And I remember being in Chicago and just looking at the horizon and wishing there was mountains and that was just like, I just wanted to be home. It's just cold wind coming from the lake. It's, it is, um, <laughs> Growing up in Montana, I've you know I've I've done ice fishing um, on the ranch when it was like thirty below and stuff like that, and that always felt fine. Never felt as cold as I did in Chicago. <laughs> was there an economic challenge to you coming back to Montana at all? Was there like finding a job that would work for you? Or? Um, I mean, I think there's a couple of things. I do think we do have a small economy in Montana. I always explain to people, and I have a lot of friends who still talk about wanting to move back to Montana. I'm just like, well, you're gonna have to find the place to get your work done. And, um, again, I have a husband who's involved in the medical field. So we sort of knew we had to be at, at a large medical center. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately there's some really good ones in Montana that we were able to choose from, but we had to pick like, you know, we were picking off of economic reasons of where we were going to be. Um, I of course had chosen the career path into, um, nonprofit management. Um, and, there wasn't enough. It's not the nonprofit sector in Montana is small enough that there just wasn't enough space there when I graduated from college to gain experiences. Um, I mean, I, the first sort of executive director job that I applied for in um, Helen and I lost out to somebody who was in their 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody was smart enough just to pull me aside and be like, Yeah, it's great that you applied for that job you'd be really good at that person but this person's given 20 years to the community and looking for this step up um and i i lost that one to a really good civic leader who was much smarter and much more committed to the community than i was and but part of that was he had learned experience and so i think one of the things that's hard for um people who are growing up in montana and just why we need to work on how to retain youth and keep people in Montana, um, is where do you get that experience? Where do you have that learning experience? Leadership Montana was actually sort of 20 years ago initiated at at that sort of idea that we needed to build up, um, senior leadership. But as a kid, I mean, sometimes you need to be able to get that. And the recommendation to me was go to the big city, go get your, go earn your chops there. And then eventually you'll be able to come back to Montana. And I'm, that was the path I took. Um, it was a good recommendation. <laughs> and, um, in that time I was able to, because I was sort of started as a project manager, be able to start to work my way up to, um, executive director sort of levels and being able to be senior leadership. And by the time I was able to move back to Montana, I was able to move into a senior leadership position at, um, Intermountain. And, but I just didn't have that on the ground experience of how I could gain that experience in Montana. Mm-hmm. So while you were in the big city, you met Steve, your now husband, right? And before you even uttered the words, I'm from Montana, you said, I want to live in Montana. This is true. Um, <laughs> yes, I, I mean, when I moved to the big city, I, mean, I think another thing, which was one of my big experiences in that was also um, was a orientation um, journey for me. In Montana, I didn't have enough of the experiences um, when I left. I was still dating women, and when I um, moved to the city, I was able to go to uh, to just become comfortable with myself. But I also came out as gay. Um, I learned a lot about um, how to again self care and take care of myself. And eventually, I did meet Steve. Um, friends, mutual friends are the ones who introduced us. And the first date that we had, he did share with me he wanted to live in Montana, um, and so I definitely kept his number. And um, he was living in Seattle at the time. I was in Chicago. Um, and um, Steve's originally uh, from the Midwest, and there's no talk about us moving to the Midwest. I think he, he too just had an opportunity that he loved the. Um, he'd been through Montana and loved the big sky, loved the mountains, and I mean one of those experiences of when. I believe he drove through Montana and got stuck in a snowstorm in Bozeman and that's when he fell in love with the state and that is a true Montana experience where <laughs> you're driving through in the middle of the summer and you get stuck in the snowstorm and um, you think what an awesome place and not many people just fall in love with Montana because of its land and its weather and its people. Yeah. 
So tell me about um, coming back to Montana with a husband and what that experience was like for you. You know, I think, so within all that, I mean, there was a journey of where I came out to my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that one of those things, it was, uh, um, there was a journey there with, with my parents. I mean, my parents were very accepting when I came out. Um, but I didn't, I hadn't brought anybody back to Montana and that is a bigger journey. And that is actually the next sort of outing experience is when, um, somebody shows up with their spouse. Um, and, um, in general, though, it's been a lot of fun because um, it's been fun to explore with somebody and um, explore the state and um, make because we're now in a different geographic corner of the state, find new trails together and make those discoveries. But also um, the Flathead and but in Montana in general, um, and I think it's because of a strong libertarian background that we all have, is we mind each other's backyard. And, um, what, what you do in your backyard is your problem. What I do in my backyard is my business. Um, it worked really well for being a gay couple moving into Montana. Um, I I think uh, there's sometimes where we've been some people's firsts. Um, but in general, um, I think people are just like, we're good neighbors and we enjoy being there. And, and once we sort of follow across that experience of, um, fitting in really well and giving to the community and really enjoying our neighbors. But, um, again, that's a mutual respect of just about everybody can come to Montana. And I do think that that's, um, it's a learned experience of Montana values of how, of how, um, understanding people are and just again, watching, you know, coming back with my husband, um, it was a, you know, my parents had met him and they really enjoyed him, but then it was how to introduce to family and stuff like that, um, to aunts and uncles who m- might not have known that I came out when I first came out. Mm-hmm. That wasn't necessarily, and I don't fault my mom on this. She just didn't necessarily bring it out as, um, we're, Montanans were private people who <laughs> didn't always, didn't always share that news with everybody. And, um, and in general, um, it's been just a very positive experience, but that's because the world's changed. And again, that's one of those things where um, a lot of things have happened with um, gay marriage has gone legalized. We've have, we have talk shows that are hosted by lesbians. We have, um, we look at sitcoms now and we see a lot more of, of an American families. Um, and what is true hap- truly happening in everybody's family is that we have gays, lesbians, um, within within our family units and our family patterns across the United States is getting um, we see that on television and stuff like that and it is a, definitely helps Montanans understand this a little bit more ready to go to the lightning round oh sure <laughs> you're familiar with the way i am you're familiar con- with the lightning okay. round yes all right a habit you've developed that's improved your life i think the habit i mentioned it is um praying and getting back into um a little bit more bible study or having some time where um i have that space an extra time of the day as a structured time um with uh, with a pastor but also with um with community mm-hmm. and that's a habit which I've just learned. Um, it was something which I was introduced to and raised in Montana. I think my mom's solution for everything was always, you might want to go to church. Um, and even when I was struggling in Chicago and trying to, uh, at that time when I was coming out and going through that journey, I mean, that was again, her recommendation, go to church. Um, it's a habit which I think was introduced to me, but I'm glad I've been able to build onto that community and, um, just the importance of where um, that fits into my life. If you could spend one full day doing absolutely anything, what would it be? Absolutely anything. You know, I, I honestly would take the dogs and go for a big, long, <laughs> old hike. Uh, I, I, there's so many different 
trails and stuff, which I love to do with that. But uh, a good summer day hiking and finding Huckleberry Patch and is what I would really love to do. Uh, and and that's a pretty perfect summary of the days. I, I love those dogs and I love just getting out with them. What kind of dogs you got? Uh, you know, I have a bird dog, and then I um, Steve ended up picking a a greater Swiss mountain dog, which is a bigger mountain dog. He's, oh wow! Um, sort of like having a resident bear or a clown. <laughs> it's it's hard to say. What's the best decision you've made in your life? Hmm. I, mean, I do think that actually one of my better decisions in my life was moving to Chicago. And mm-hmm. it was um, taking that, um, it, that was a grand adventure at that time. I, I had a six month old dog and I moved to Chicago, which was um, moving to Chicago with a bird dog was probably the worst decision ever could be made. Um, but it also took me on a journey of um, saying yes to things and looking at new opportunities. Um, and when I was in Chicago, I was able to, um, I, I leaned in and said yes to a couple of uh, other opportunities as they opened up and learned to really um, jump in and take risks. And that was an important life lesson to like learn that, um, as I said, I had a whole bunch of experiences. I used to like to always be a project manager and work by myself. Um, and learning that I sometimes needed to step up into leadership positions and just do that was the biggest best lesson I could learn. I don't have this on my list, but I just we talked about it yesterday. I just want to hear give us your quick rundown on home decor, your nineteen sixties mid century modern. So I mean, this is I mean of things which I love about Kalispell. I mean, and not enough people know that it's the best place to do antique shopping. Uh, and one thing which uh, both it's just where I go for uh, if I do stress shopping or if I go out, there's a couple of really good um, antique malls and right down downtown Kalispell. And when I f- first moved here about 10 years ago, I was able to really pursue a habit which I formed in Chicago, which is loving mid-century cent- uh, modern um, antiques. And I was able to find gems um, here in in Kalispell. And when we moved here, I got the opportunity just to geek out. Um, my first bungalow was a 1950s bungalow, and then we ended up in a, now a 1960s ranch. And I've been able to go sort of all um, all in on my obsession with um, mid-century stuff. My mom used to despise it because she was just like, I worked all my life to get rid of Venetian <laughs> blinds and all these like all these kitschy sort of lamps and stuff like that. And then here you are just like keeping Venetian blinds, putting wallpaper up in your house and, and getting into all these little kitschy things. Um, but that does, I, I love setting and it makes for a happy space, but I just love the efficiency of, um, design, especially in that mid century era. Oh, interesting. If you could snap your fingers and change one thing in Montana right now, what would that be? It would be a comprehensive um, reform of our mental health system. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, where um, we still are, most of our investment in mental health is in our um, prisons and in our jails. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just not where um, you shouldn't have this because of knowing things like uh, traumatized um, theory and looking at what we could be doing, we are making a pipeline that puts people from poverty right into prisons. Um, and I believe that that's what we see within our mental health system as well. Um, we're short cheating people. And I think that we could um, do better and benefit from that. And, and it would, um, and there's a way to keep, um, to address mental health in, in our communities. Um, and, systemically changed that problem. Mm-hmm. Something you thought you knew and had your mind changed on. I think that one of the things which I, I thought I knew is I, I thought I understood a lot of Montana industries, most particularly the timber industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time I've really learned, um, and especially this is through public service, getting out and getting to know the community more, um, how deep um, the timber industry is, um, fits into um being Montanan, but also within our loves of public land and like how we actually through public lands run um, our public education in Montana and 
um, but also it's like where we have this intersection with um, land management and also hunting. Um, and I just, I thought it was a much more simple industry, but actually now see where it's an industry that has tradition and backbone and um, like I say, a lot of deep roots where I've learned that in time that um, jobs and industries, um, they're more than just a nine to five thing. How about a book? Um, you know, the book that, that really did change a lot of my life was um, The Four Agreements. Hmm. Um, and somebody had given that to me, it was sometime after turning 30. And it really, um, it did show me a guideline of how to not take things so personally, but okay. also to um, keep your words impeccable. Some of those are the key, for me, the takeaways from The Four Agreements. Um, but it became a philosophy of change for me in that um, made me sort of prioritize myself and good with my self-care and how you have to move from that home home base first before you move into the rest of the world. And that really just, it did change my perspective of um, how I approach things. When you're scared, tired, or overwhelmed, where do you turn? Um, like I say, I... Um, stress shopping for me is in an antique um, mall <laughs> and it's um, so that is me sharing something when I totally get overwhelmed I will just like there's a mall in downtown Kalispell which um, I'll go down into their basement and geek around and find <laughs> find a little trinket and um, sometimes that 15 minute treasure, treasure hunt um, is enough to re-energize me and take me out it's finding those little things um, and then sometimes finding that little space of where that's going to fit into my home, um, which just gives a new energy for me to move forward out of. I love that. Okay, so we're going to go to single word prompts. Okay. So wrap it up. Kalispell. Awesome. Montana. Inspiring. Gratitude. Necessary. Last one. Leadership. Something you dig deep into and um, bring the rest of the team with you. Kyle Waterman, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Eric. It's been great to have you here. Thanks to Kyle Waterman for coming on the podcast. And thanks to you for listening in. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to support Listen First Montana, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Those small steps can really help us connect these stories to more listeners. Our intro song is a rendition of the Montana State song by Scott Gudger, and our other music is from Blue Dot Sessions. We'll see you in two weeks with our next episode. Until then, I'm Eric Halverson. And this is Listen First, Montana. Montana.